0: When Matthew Pavlich was drafted by Fremantle late in 1999, he was seen as the prototype for the perfect footballer of the 21st century. He was big and strong, athletic and versatile, and a beautiful kick. All the assets clubs demanded at the turn of the century. Pavlich delivered too to become one of the most decorated players in history. He is in the top 15 for games played, the top 25 for goals kicked. But no premierships. Uh, It's no coincidence, Matthew, that we're here at the MCG for this edition of Open Mic. One crack, pretty good effort, but you didn't get the Chockeys against Hawthorne. So this is your doing, is it? Is this uh, to rub it into the... Well, well, no, (laughs) I checked your record here. 15 games, six wins, and a grand final performance that probably still burns.
1: It does, yeah, and the memories of that day in terms of on the field are, are relatively vague, probably like it is for most players that play in a grand final and probably play in the losing one. Um, you know, yeah, it was 15 points and it was pretty close, but... Same number of scoring shots? Yeah, more inside 50s, more mark inside yeah. 50s. Um, you know, in a lot of ways we dominated that game, but we slipped over a lot. Uh, we missed shots at goal, including myself. And upon review, and you know, in a few months' time after we we played that game, we reviewed it, and there was elements of our structure and things that weren't perfect, but you can never get a perfect game, um, but at least we were in in the contest. Um, But it does still burn, no doubt.
0: A second crack at it, you won't get it, but the hypothetical one, what would you have done differently that day? You kicked three
1: goals, two? Three, two, yeah, well, I would have kicked the goal in the second quarter. Yeah, yeah, so you might have kicked five. (laughs) Might. Uh, Yeah, might and hypothetical, it's all there to to debate. I What I might have done differently is embrace the week a lot better. I I, I was odds at the whole week, you know. It was such a big moment for the football club. Um, But I I just really wanted our routine to be the same. Um, I wanted things to be normal, but I was fighting, you know, a losing battle. There was no way that... With yourself? Yeah, with myself, absolutely. Um, You know, 10,000 people down at training on a a Tuesday morning. Um, I remember Ross saying to me, we were waiting as everyone was we'd sort of finished our team meeting, we were about to go out and do a, a training session, I was standing with Ross, I said, I'd, I'd just be nice if we just had, a, had no one else out there except for ourselves. And he said, I just relax mate, enjoy. Yeah. It. And I, I was, I was fighting that battle the whole week for some reason. Well, um, why
0: though, why? I mean, shouldn't you have embraced that?
1: Yeah, I should have. Um, and that's in hindsight, I would have, you know, you do ask, well, what would I have done differently? Um, I, by the time we got to Melbourne, I embraced it. Um, but I don't know, maybe that's just the life of an AFL player mm. or an athlete. They, they like things a similar way. And I wanted to embrace the week and I wanted to uh, celebrate it with all our fans, but um, I wanted it to be hard-nosed, professional way so we could get the job done on the weekend. Now, in the end, those little things make very little difference to what happens out here for the two hours. But, um, yeah, so in hindsight, that's what I would have done differently.
0: I want to take you back uh, to your book, Purple mm-hmm. Heart which I genuinely really enjoyed, and I did. But the first page stunned me. You told us about what happened on grand final morning. You're in your hotel room, you're an hour from getting on the bus to go to the MCG to play a grand final, and you're in tears.
1: Yeah, it's hard to explain. Um, I think I've counted my hand maybe once or twice. I've c- cried that you know, twice in 20 years. Mm. Uh, once when my grandfather passed away, and another time was after a prelim final. Um, in 2015. Mm. That morning I, like sort of normal routine, sort of got got up and going and I was in the hotel room um, just listening to some pre-recorded music and, um, you know, just sort of chilling out until we are ready to go and um, these, a a piece of music and some words in the background came across, um, you know, the iPod and and essentially it was talking about, um, you know, you not being good enough, people doubting you, you being challenged. Um, you know, people around you sort of doubting, you know, why things w- remained a certain way or why you didn't succeed or whatever. And for, for some reason, it just sort of hit me. And um, I think it was just, you know, sort of that nervous tension, that emotion building up to the game. This was something that was, you know, sort of stored away that I hadn't listened to for a long time, and it just happened to be playing, so I just let it play. If I look back on it, I think that I wanted it... I wanted to turn it off. But for whatever reason, I thought it might sort of engage some emotion and start building me up that way. But it was a weird experience. It wasn't a long sort of... No, but but you said in
0: your own words in the book, you you cried. I mean, you weren't just misty-eyed, you cried. I did. And those things about... This is the part that intrigued me, given you obviously wanting to be in a positive space, you said things like you were reminded about people who'd said, you'll never make it, you don't want it enough, and you play for a shit club.
1: Yeah. And I was amazed that
0: that you would sort of let that come across your psyche. Yeah. Uh, at that time.
1: Well, I think I was trying to, you know, bottle all that and use his emotion and energy for, for a few hours later when we'd run out here and, and let it all go, let it all hang on, on the biggest day of my career and the biggest day of, of our club's career. So um, I often, in my career, used, you know, things that were external as motivation. I used, you know, if it was... Um, if I heard, you know... A, an opposition player say something or, you know, a news piece or whatever it was, I'd use that as motivation. And it wasn't always about me as an individual, but us as a club. Mm. Um, You know, sometimes it can't always be intrinsic motivation. Generally speaking, over the 17 years it was, it was me, you know, going, this is what I want, how do I achieve it, be dedicated and go and do it. But it's important, I think, as an athlete, to grab anything you can at various stages and use that to be as best you can be.
0: Did you have a roommate?
1: No, no, by that stage we're... The captain room. gets the room? No, yeah. no, all, all <laughs> players are by themselves yeah. at that stage. So. Did you
0: tell Ross before the game? No. Tell anyone?
1: No. I might have told Lauren, my wife, uh, later that night. How did you feel? When, you, when you're there, and I mean,
0: <coughs> crying sort of just comes naturally. You don't say, I want to cry and
1: start to cry. When you had the
0: tears and, and this I felt of...
1: strange because I hadn't done... I hadn't cried in probably 15, 16 years. 12 so years, you said in the book. Since your grandfather years? died. There you go, yeah. 12 years. So um, I found it strange, firstly, and then I think I just let it wash over me, mm. let, it, let it happen and just, you know, embrace the moment, which I didn't yeah. do
0: in the week yeah. earlier. One of the great mysteries of my time in football is that neither Adelaide team, <laughs> Adelaide or Port Adelaide, took you when you were 17 and they had they had a claim. They, they could have taken you. Oh, 16,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so... Brian Cunningham, who is the port CEO, is Dad's cousin. Mm. And they grew up together and you know really close. And on the way, so that I was 16 going into year 12 uh, at, at that draft in 98. And Dad had a call from Brian on the way home from the draft saying, oh, you know, almost apologising to dad saying we we didn't pick him up. Um, these were the reasons why. Um, do you mind if I pop around and have a chat? And, so it was, a, it was a pretty interesting time to be a part of. As, particularly as a 16-year-old, yeah. it, was,
0: it was... You would have been impatient.
1: You would have wanted to be taken by either one of them. Definitely, yeah. 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 Well, I'd actually done some work experience uh, down at Port Adelaide um, for a week. And, you know, I, in a lot of ways, probably I was a Crow supporter, but felt because of the connection with... Like, Dad was a huge Port Adelaide supporter growing up. Brian was there. Um, you know, there was other connections that I had. So I would have loved to have been able to play at that stage for either club.
0: Kane Corns. Uh, a Premiership player at Port Aladdin, a close friend of yours growing up, said that Port would have won two or three more Premierships <laughs> had you played with them. Now, you're hardly going to sort of say, "Yeah, exactly." But that's his view about what would have happened. He could. He said it's the biggest stuff up in recruiting in his time in football.
1: Uh, it's convenient for Kane to say that. It's nice for him to say that, but um, it's not a view that I hold. I, I think well, you must have felt that when you win. When... Well, no, I don't hold the view that I would have. Um... Assisted them winning premierships. No, no, My but, view but... would have been that I could have been um, a pretty good player for them. Yeah. The whole debate around recruiting and selecting players and uh, what ifs, uh, I find that, um, you know.
0: But, but you were on their doorstep, Matthew. You, were, you, were, you live locally and they'd seen you play five years of football. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe. You were in a punt where? A punk. A punt. <laughs> no, you might have been a punk. <laughs> maybe that's why they didn't pick <laughs> me up.
1: Um, well, I think any time you. Back then it was, you can only take one 17-year-old, so yeah, that's a punt. OK.
0: I think okay. it is, yeah. All right, isn't it funny, 12 months later, according to Damien Drum, your first coach at Frio, your mother rang and begged him not to take you in the draft.
1: Yeah, that's right. Well, it started even earlier than, than the phone call to Damien. Um, I'm not sure if Mum called the coach directly. In fact, that might be stretching the truth a little bit, but... when
0: well, spoke the... to you, said.
1: Oh, well, Drummy was in, in, the, uh, in our living room at Mum and Dad's place, with um, yeah, Neil McLean, our psychologist, yep. and um, Gerard McNeil, the, the football manager at Fremantle. And mum, mum had done some research prior to this meeting, unbeknown to me and Dad. Um, she'd gone through the Teal Cup sort of records yeah. and circled all of the Western Australian players. Um, you know, Darren Glass and Ricky Mott and sort of some other names that eventually played and saying, oh, you know, this guy's 192 centimetres and, you know, 90-odd <laughs> kilos, why aren't you selecting him? It wasn't the best thing for Mum to do in, a, in an interview with um, my prospective employer, but um, I appreciate the fact that she wanted a son at home. So, Drummy told me his memory is that
0: you said to him it w- would be the worst day of your life if you were drafted by Fremantle.
1: No, that, that's not entirely correct. I, um, it was less than ideal. I didn't want to go to Fremantle, absolutely. Where did you want to go? Oh, to one of the Adelaide clubs. Definitely. You didn't care, either one of those? Yeah, either one, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was a Crow supporter, um, but had connections, strong sort of family connections to yep. Port, so I guess in some ways um, either would have been my preference. But you got So, I'm 17. From the moment I can remember, I loved AFL football. Mm. So I just had this absolute desire to play in the AFL. Um, so wherever that was going to be, like any other you know, excitable young kid, mm. I wanted to, to take that opportunity. So whilst Perth... And Fremantle seemed so far away and not what I wanted to, where I wanted to be. I was so eager to get get to work and get into it.
0: I bet you weren't as eager to get to work after your first day of training.
1: I wasn't. No. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a great start. Actually, the first two weeks of my career were a poor start. Right? So my very first training session, Paul Hazelby, who was, you know, drafted at number two, picked me up from my uh, house, my host family in Winthrop, and we made the short drive to Aquinas College, where the club was training at that stage, because of not really having a home base was sort of quite nomadic at that stage. Mm. So we often trained our main sessions at Aquinas College and I landed at the club and um, I'd been on a week of schoolies mm. um, with my mates down in Victor Harbour in South Australia. So absolutely not the right uh, way I should have prepared for... Uh, an AFL pre-season. A
0: lot of people, be interrupting you, a lot of people would be surprised at that. I mean, you're so orderly and so disciplined, but obviously you played up on schoolies, did
1: you? Oh, I, I was like most teenagers, Michael. I, I sort of lived a pretty, you know, mischievous sort of teenage years. I was yeah. pretty disciplined and, and wanted to achieve, and I tried really hard at school, but um, like most young teenagers, you got up to, you know, sort of <laughs> shenanigans on the weekends <laughs> yeah, and those sort of things, yeah. So, uh, including schoolies week. So, yeah, I got to training and... Um, we did about 90 minutes of ball work in pretty warm and humid conditions, and I, I just remember wanting to impress I was going at, you know, each ball 100 miles an hour running through the, you know, just doing everything as well as I could on that skill session and then the running coach came over and said, oh, we've got uh, we've got 6-1k time trials and That was certainly well ahead of I guess like where I should have been at that stage, but I you know Up we went got up to the line with a bunch of other sort of key position players and off we took and I got through the first uh, five okay. I started to drop off the back of the fifth one uh, of our group and after the fifth I didn't want to show any chink in my armour, but I was absolutely cooked and I walked over had a Had a spew in the side mm. and walked back and and the coach came over running coach came over and said um, Can you go? Can you go again? Can you do the sixth one? And I said, yeah, of course no worries You know wasn't going to show yeah. any sign of weakness day one and, and off I took and I dropped back Straight away off the back of my group started labouring and I just kept thinking to myself, it was two laps of the oval. Just two laps, it can't be that hard. And I got about two thirds away around um, the first lap and I remember sort of feeling as though I was running closer and closer to the ground. That was the overwhelming feeling. And people, teammates who now relive the story, much to their delight, say it was like I was going down an escalator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to hit the turf and passed out. And um, the next thing I remember waking up at the uh, Murdoch Hospital in yeah. intensive care and, Dehydrated. Yeah, dehydrated. yeah, significant dehydrated. Significantly um, dehydrated. I didn't prepare well. All the things your young athletes mm. you know, need to learn. But
0: you said intensive care. Was that serious?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was pretty. Uh, I was actually meeting some of my teammates for the first time yeah. later that night when they were coming in. But needless to say, mum and dad weren't too happy about it. And um, yeah, first year draftees don't necessarily have that level of <laughs> training anymore.
0: Interesting journey for you at Frio. And I know there were a couple of times, there probably were half a dozen when you were thinking about perhaps leaving and their invitations to leave. Two big ones. Carlton, uh, wanting you to go, the time when Juddy... It was either clearly Juddy or you. Yep. And Collingwood, when you went to Mick Malthouse's house as the Fremantle captain. Mm. Take us through those.
1: Well, Carlton's one was around... Um, 2007? Yeah, 2007, yeah. when I re-signed with the club. And as time went, we learnt that that offered Juddy a contract as well. Um, and he obviously took that. It was certainly, to my management company anyway, a, a bonafide offer. And uh, while I looked at it, it and I, there was a strong allure to come to Melbourne and play in Melbourne at a big AFL team. Um, I was a recent captain, you know, newly appointed captain. Uh, I felt as though I'd sort of built some pretty strong relationships at Freo. So I didn't really look you know, that closely at that offer, but it was
0: significant. Like, well, significant being oh, 200 just... grand more than what Frio were paying you, Yep. and it was for four years. Yeah. So that's that's a genuine offer, isn't it? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. But as I said, you know, Juddie's. Our contracts were scrutinised <laughs> pretty clo- <laughs> closely. So well, I'm not TPP sure how that would have been interesting. I'm not sure how that would have. Um, two two blokes getting out. 80% of it.
0: Yeah. yeah. But
1: the Malthouse one intrigued me. Yeah.
0: You captain of your footy club you clearly were easy about going into his house. Yeah.
1: Long story short, I was in Melbourne um, with the AFL Players Association and they said, look, can we meet with Matthew? Collingwood said, can we meet with with Matthew? And I was obviously interested. I wanted to have a discussion because all of these things, you need to make informed decisions. You can't just say, oh yeah, let's go and do that. So, um, but at the same time, you know, I'd sort of built such a strong connection with Fremantle. I was the captain. Um, Ultimately, I wanted to stay there, but it was, I needed to have this meeting just to tick that box, for, for want of a better term. Um, so driving in, I was paranoid about being seen, and I think for probably the first 40 minutes of the meeting, I, I wouldn't have come off that well because I was so um, uneasy about being there.
0: Describe your career. Kevin Butler, Bernie Quinlan, and you are the only three players to have played 350 games and kicked 700 goals. It says it all, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. But I want you to know how, how you
0: look back on your career.
1: Oh, with with a fair amount of pride um i love the game and i loved my career and i wouldn't change one bit of it like I, i've got so many great experiences memories but it was bloody hard work mm. it, it's a tough existence even though all these fantastic things come with playing the game for so long um like it's not all beer and skittles what were the dark moments i as a as a young captain mm. um and taking on too much responsibility in sort of that early phase, 2007, 2008, when I was sort of 24, 25. Uh, a couple of, In 2008, I hit the post in the last quarters, mm. you know, an obscene number of times, I so missed some easy shots at goal, which there was one particular game against Carlton at Etihad, which for whatever reason just sticks with me. I, I missed a shot 15, 20 metres out from goal in the last quarter, um, hit the post, and we lost the game in a pretty tight contest in a game we you know, should have won. And I remember just walking down the change rooms, walking into the change room with the team, but then walking in and just kept walking down the corridors of, under Etihad and just you know, screaming and lamenting and just, I just needed a, a few moments myself. I was just mm. so disappointed in me. And I felt that at that stage of my career, I had to be the absolute professional sort of face of the team. I had to play well every week. I had to kick so many goals and I had to lead the guys and challenge them. So I was taking on too much responsibility. Um, I needed to really empower other guys around me, build stronger relationships, and in a lot of ways, give feedback to other guys in a more direct manner, so it was, it was a challenging period. You,
0: you talked about the culture, about your footy club, and the culture about the footy club up the road, as you yep. like to say, West Coast. You were pretty blunt in your assessment of West Coast. What did I say? Well, you said that the player behaviour was outrageous and unlawful, and there was a bad culture in this footy club.
1: Well, I remember and... saying that there was I think there, yeah, there was enough noise coming from around the town that um, they had some issues.
0: What sort of issues are you're talking about?
1: Well, I think you're alluding to it when you talk about culture and mm. whatnot. Well,
0: can you be specific? I mean, you, it was you who said it about the. Uh, it went from 2001, What's I think, the to question, two, 2006 about these cultural issues, yeah. and, and you talked about them breaking the law, which which oh, raised my eyebrows. I'm not
1: sure if I, I. I never said broke the law. You said unlawful. Law. Well, that's not. Is that exactly saying broke the law? I, I think what. My my understanding was that um, there was a lot going on. In were talk, are we
0: were talking drugs and alcohol. Yeah, I think, think so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, and it was noise. Now I've got no no proof, but um, there was a lot of noise at that particular time that was suggesting that um, there was a lot going wrong off the field.
0: You both didn't like them, did you? The doctors oh. didn't like. Them. I mean, you said early, they were, early you in my, my career. career yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. no, early in
1: my career there was yeah. um, Frio had. The previous Western Derby in 1999 won their first Derby after yep. you know a, a big drought, and there was a sense that um, you know tides turn, we'll be okay here. And then we got we went out in the first Derby that I ever played and got beaten by 117 points. <laughs> <laughs> Scotty Cummings hit ten, and it was an ugly night. And the the second one, the the, the demolition Derby that year, 2000, it was like line in the sand. Like a lot of the senior players at that stage felt disrespected um, you know, second-class citizens, and a number of, not necessarily they're great players, because I think any AFL player will admire great players who have been all Australians, premiership players, best and fairest, like, that's fine. They can, I think they respected them, but there was other players that were living off the back of those coattails, and and it rubbed our players the wrong way. Our senior called Hmm. the wrong way.
0: Well, you did, you said you guys thought that they were arrogant and that they were bullies. So we get to the eve of the, the der- demo- yeah. demolition derby. Who drove there? Was it Drummy that said we need to make a statement? Oh, there was an here?
1: undercurrent of, of the players. Both teams had had an unsuccessful year, so you know it was a. If there was ever going to be a, a boiling point, or a, you know it was going to be that game because it was, I think the penultimate game of that season, yep. and it was right. Oh, let's get this on. And and Drummy, let it happen.
0: So respect came ahead of the four points that yep. day, didn't it?
1: Yeah. And fortunately, in that example, we got both. You, uh, you were a boy, you were playing,
0: you, how old were you? 18, was you? 18, yeah. yeah. Playing full You're
1: playing back. F- uh, full back, yep.
0: Michael Gardner. Yep.
1: Yeah, so we broke from our huddle, and I was waiting for him, to, like traditional down the Gulf <laughs> square, as things used to be back in the day. And um, he'd only come back from, from surgery, or a big shoulder complaint. So his shoulders were all strapped up. And I remember sort of you know, bumping into him, as you sort of do. And then he just started throwing <laughs> throwing punches. I think they were where they Were they landing as... or not? No, none of them, I think maybe one landed. If you see the footage, I'm trying to get close to him, but his reach (laughs) was too good. I didn't really know what to do, Mike, so I got in as close as I could, but um, somehow we got a free kick from that and and the game started.
0: Have you ever played in a game where the emotions have just spilled free like that? No. 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 I know you wouldn't be scared in a physical sense of going to the ball, but were you you fearful of things just really going A-Y? When
1: the second, there was a big melee early, on that the half-forward flank, um, Subiaka side of the ground. That was a moment, I was like, gee, this, like, this is really going to erupt here. You know, there was big haymakers yeah. thrown. It was just, it was quite incredible to be a part of, really. Um, and I remember sort of getting there thinking, just what am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, it was... What did uh, you do? I think, um, from memory, Blackie Heath-Black and Ben Cousins are having a bit of scraps. so I thought I might just go and help Blackie out. but. Um, by by the time I'd got there, yeah, it sort of dissipated a bit. But uh, it was pretty win? it was pretty severe game.
0: You mentioned uh, Ben Cousins. Do you know Ben
1: Cousins? Yeah. Yeah. Well. Not well, no. Uh,
0: have you sought him out to talk to him or tried to talk to him in recent times? No, I haven't. Uh, no. Um, should you? I mean, given, yeah. given given that you live in the same state, I'm not. This not I, finger so... pointing here, and and your role with the AFLPA. It's crossed my mind.
1: so there's a few things here. Um, the, the Players Association, which I obviously am involved in, have spoken to him and reached out. so there's that element um, at play. Um, people are, and, and that's the thing for past players. you know there's the, the players' hardship and trust fund mm. psychology services. Um, there's a lot there for, for past players. Um, and a part of this CBA claim there's going to hopefully be a lot more um, because of the challenges that we're seeing. For, for athletes uh, that are coming out of the game, um, Gary Ibbotson, actually, his um, wife is Ben's sister. So, you know, in some ways, it's, it's felt quite awkward at times um, because of because the, role of the rivalry. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. rivalry and yeah. all that yeah. kind yeah. of stuff. Um, look, it's something that's crossed my mind. Is it something I should do? Potentially, yeah.
0: Ross Lyon, I mean, he fascinates a lot of us. Can you describe him in a sentence? What does he fascinate? Oh, well, just his, his turns of phrase, uh, the way he dismisses yeah. people, uh, the way he makes light of a bad runner form, all those sort of yeah. things.
1: Yeah. Um, can I describe him in a sentence? Oh, he's a ruthless operator who's like a dog with a bone, but has incredible empathy for the modern-day player. Does he? Mm.
0: OK. Mm. He's one of five coaches you had. Do you want to rank them for me?
1: Oh, Ross is the best.
0: Ross is the best? Clearly. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. He, he was the coach that... I remember watching press conferences when he was at Sydney, uh, St Kilda and thinking, I was intrigued. I wanted to know more. They, they, I just really liked some of his stuff. Now, I hear people say they can't stand his press conferences, but I loved them. By, you know, sort of his philosophy around playing and effort and team dynamics. They were a blood sport though. A like, blood sport.
0: <laughs> Ross could go for you. If, you. if you said something to Ross that he didn't like oh, or he yeah. thought he had no credibility.
1: Yeah, and uh, so not only in the media, but in a meeting. That would be the case as well. But if you you held strong convictions and you held your ground, he respected that. Did he ever get into you? Oh, yeah, Yeah. absolutely.
0: You've got a heap of individual awards, a massive amount of them, best and fairest All-Australian, captain, goal kickers and all that sort of stuff. Is there one that that has a special place in your heart, one of the individual awards? I mean, you played All-Australian as a defender. Well, you made All-Australian... As a defender,
1: at, well, at 20, to be the first Fremantle Docker player to win an Australian jumper, and at that same year win a Best and fairest at 20 was that was pretty special. There might have been a, a couple of years, sort of the Best and fairest, I you was know, injured and sort of battling on, battling to get out there each week, which you no know, one would have really known. Um, but you know, I felt like I my consistency over a long period was pretty strong. It was,
0: you played 160 games in a row, didn't you?
1: Yeah, and that's where, like, towards into that stretch of 160, I was really starting to battle with some of the tendonitis and back back stuff that I had Mm. going on. Um, Yeah, there was plenty of games there. If I was, if I could afford a rest, I would have absolutely loved one. (laughs) But we're in a position as a club um, where it just couldn't happen.
0: Were you a good captain?
1: Not early, no, I think I needed to really evolve and and learn a fair bit about the role. I think in some ways I tried to be um, someone different rather than myself. Um, And I needed to build strong relationships with players um, and the whole group that is, not just sort of the the core, um, the entire group, because as a captain, you are representing your group of players um, and you have to influence them. You have to have strong integrity. And I learnt that over the journey. It wasn't something that came naturally to me.
0: Did you have enough SH1T in you to... to... Yeah. You did? Yeah? yeah. You could do I that? Think,
1: I think initially that confrontation was something that, in the end, if I felt it in my, t- my stomach, I would say it. If I felt it in my guts, I was bang. Whereas at the start, if I felt it, I'd sort of wait for a bit, mm. and then I might have missed my moment. Mm. And that was the, the challenge, was a 24, 25, to, to stand up to that mark, but by absolutely by the end, yeah.
0: Does it irk you that there is a perception that you are Peter Perfect?
1: I, well, I just don't think it's true. So,
0: do you do you let your hair down? Absolutely. <laughs> you do. Yeah. Can you get into trouble uh, after dark? Yeah. Okay. I think everyone, anyone can. You? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Right. Why, why why is it that view? I wonder. Uh, well, I, maybe because there's been no controversy. Well, I mean, news, you you you're,
0: you're you've organised. You're well prepared you're very consistent and reliable and you never get into trouble with authorities?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's probably my upbringing first. I had a really strong influence from my family. Mum and Dad, you know, just really good people. So I think that sort of rubbed off on me. Um, But I took, you know, call me guilty for taking my career uh, (laughs) serious and professionally, like, you know.
0: (laughs) No, I wouldn't do that. No.
1: No, I, I just wonder I think that Larry can so like so if you talk to um, I, I keep my cards pretty close to my chest. Yeah. And the people that I let my hair down with are, you know, only a, only a certain few. You know, okay. I'd be more than happy to be at some dingy old pub let my hair down with my with my good mates. And from a school. dozen beers? Absolutely more. Yeah. Okay,
0: more. You're good at it, eh, Good boy, <laughs> good boy. It's great to see you. It's been a stellar career by any standards and we all acknowledge that. Uh, You're entitled to be very proud of it. You didn't get the flag, but you got everything else that the game had to offer. Nice to see you, Thanks, Matthew. Father.
1: Cheers. Thank you. This has been a Fox Footy production,
0: part of the Fox Sports Network.